Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. A report in the Independent newspaper reported that millions of us Brits feel overwhelmed by mounting work pressures, busy social calendars and financial worries, not least in these days when everyone's talking about power bills. Research revealed two-thirds feel a constant sense of dread caused by the stress of their day-to-day lives, and more than six out of ten admitted struggling to keep their life organised with everything they have going on. Well, for me, it's been a busy week. I've crossed the Atlantic while eating airplane food, which defies description, because I wasn't actually sure of the identity of the food. I've hit the ground running, as they say, meetings, Zoom calls, phone calls, emails. Regardless of whether we travel or not, the fact is that most of us are busy, 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 physically, mentally. We're busy. Our brains are busier than ever before. We're constantly assailed with facts, pseudo-facts, jibber-jabber and rumour, all posing as information. We're trying to figure out what we need to know and what we can ignore, and all that can be exhausting. Glenn Wilson, visiting professor of psychology at Gresham College London, calls it infomania. We have FOMO, a fear of missing out. Our smartphones have become Swiss Army knife-like appliances that include a dictionary, calculator, web browser, email, Game Boy, appointment calendar, voice recorder, guitar tuner, weather forecaster, GPS, texter, tweeter, Facebook updater, flashlight, and so much more. You see, we're part of a 21st century mania for cramming everything we do into a single spare moment of downtime. We text while we're walking across the street. We catch up on email while standing in a queue and while having lunch with friends. We surreptitiously check to see what our other friends are doing. Stephen Covey comments on the unreal expectations of our culture in his book, First Things First. He said, people expect us to be busy, overworked. It's become a status symbol in our society. If we're busy, we must be important. If we're not busy, we're embarrassed to admit it. Busyness is where we get our security. It's validating, popular and pleasing. It's also a good excuse for not dealing with the first things in our lives. Ouch. So tonight, here on Lucas on Life, let's talk a little about slowing down. I stared at the envelope and tried to halt the rising feeling of dread that sickened my stomach. Printed on the corner of the stern brown stationery was the logo of the Surrey Constabulary. Meldrew-like, I could not believe it. I had been caught speeding again, the hapless target of a motorway camera. Now, I won't make light of my crime and try to extract any humour from my being caught. Speeding kills people, and I was guilty, my lord. Never mind that I was only four miles an hour over the limit, or that it seems that speed cameras have become a major source of income for local authorities these days. That's not really the point. I was speeding. Last time it happened, I was forced to attend a speed awareness course. A sorry, shamed-looking group shuffled into a lecture room for a three-hour event designed to show us just how devastating speed can be. I actually enjoyed the experience and stayed behind afterwards to thank the instructor for a good evening, who responded by looking at me as if I was quite mad. 
I graduated from the course, which was no great achievement because you just have to be there, and vowed that I'd slow down, a pledge that I quickly broke with my excessively quick driving. I live my life at speed. I eat quickly and I can't think why. Savouring the flavours of food has never been my style. I wish I could say that I was raised in a large, hungry family where if you didn't eat your chicken quickly, it would be snatched off the plate. But it's just not true. I just race through my food because I tend to race through everything. I speed read, preferring to skim over sentences rather than fully digest the words. I multitask, steam through to-do lists, and fume in rush-hour traffic jams where congestion means that the one thing you can't do is rush. I get things done so that I can get on to the next thing and get that done. But there's always something else to do, somewhere else to go, some other experience that demands that whatever I'm doing, it won't be for long. Lately, I've been asking myself, why the haste? Rushing is an unconscious habit, one that's hard to break. I dash without thinking. I don't have to be late, under pressure, or behind schedule in order to be in a hurry. Slowing down takes conscious effort. In a world of fast food and high-speed Wi-Fi, it's easy just to go with the flow, even if the flow is a torrent rather than a trickle. And then I rush simply because I always have. It's my default setting. I've no idea how long my mother was in labor when I came into the world, but I do know that I arrived early, very prematurely. Perhaps I took minutes rather than hours to make my appearance, and having received a slap from the midwife, I proceeded to ask when school would be starting. And then there's the subtle pressure to be busy, Because, as I mentioned earlier, busyness offers proof that we are in demand, that those who need us must get in line or take a number. Plus, slowing down is just so hard because when I relax, I feel guilty. Going on holiday takes serious mental and emotional preparation because suddenly finding myself without activity and the rush created by rushing, I can spiral down into vague depressiveness, enduring rather than enjoying those lazy days of sunshine. But as the speed awareness course demonstrated with horrifying illustrations, speed is truly devastating and not just on the roads. I've made super swift decisions that proved to be disastrous, messes that could have been prevented with some pause. I've wasted too many beautiful moments because I've not been fully present in them, quickly dashing on to the next thing, which I hoped would be better, which it generally was not. Life lived like that becomes something to get through rather than an experience to savor. If I want to become more like Jesus, then a better, slower rhythm won't be a luxury, but a necessity. He knew how to say no. At times, he evaded the madding crowds and commanded his friends to come apart for a while, presumably so that they wouldn't fall apart. So wish me well as I make my attempt at slowing down. Miracle Power from We the Kingdom. You're listening to Lucas on Life. Thanks for joining me. I'm Jeff Lucas. Don't forget, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at premier.org.uk. Any reflections, comments, or suggestions for future shows, it would be a delight to hear from you. We're thinking about slowing down and sometimes just doing nothing. 
It was obvious to all that my sermon was drawing to a close. Not only had I uttered the words much beloved by congregations everywhere, and finally, but in summarising my key points, it was clear that I was preparing to land the sermonic plane. This was further confirmed by members of the worship team ambling back on stage with a keyboard player poised to tickle the keys. Final confirmation that the preacher was about to be done. But it was then that I sensed heightening tension because everyone knew what was coming. A time of response. The altar call, as it's sometimes described. My friends in the Salvation Army have their mourner's bench, while Pentecostals here in America often provide tissues for the convenience of the tearfully repentant. My listeners brace themselves for the response time. Raise a hand, come forward for prayer and ministry, whatever. What followed was a surprise to all, including me. These response times in Christian gatherings they're usually designed to cement the deal, as it were, at the end of the sermon. An RSVP moment to the message. The sermon lays down a challenge, and the response time is the moment when the listeners pick up that proverbial gauntlet, engage their will, and decide. The actual choice that we're making when we respond, it varies. It may be a step towards giving more financially, or just giving something. It might be that the respondent is deciding to become a Christian or determining to pass the good news around more intentionally. They might be turning their back on a destructive pathway currently being trod or making a heart choice to mend a broken relationship. It's a response. And these moments of response can be very, very good. My own father, hardened by bitterness that encrusted him during four years spent as a half-starved prisoner of war, walked to the front of a church at the conclusion of a service because he decided to follow Jesus. And it was wonderful to see him responding, but a little bewildering too, as he walked forward without there being an actual invitation given. The pastor was sharing the end of the service announcements, otherwise known as the notices. So the mildly confused congregation couldn't figure out if dad was coming home to Jesus or registering an interest in the ladies' embroidery group that meets on Tuesday mornings. Whatever the reason for a response, the opportunity to decide is good. But all that said, it can get a little tiring. If you've been around Christian subculture for a while, you can start to feel worn out by the responses, especially if you're in a church where an RSVP is extended every Sunday, week after week. We can feel overwhelmed by the continual onslaught of coulds, shoulds, oughts and musts. I'm not suggesting for a moment that passive Christianity is the way forward. The church showcased in the New Testament, while not perfect, was certainly hardworking. But that same New Testament talks about the sense of restfulness that is the heritage of every believer. Belief without effort is meaningless. Belief that is just about effort is exhausting and can contribute to the lack of slowing down that we've been reflecting on. And so that night at the end of the service, I offered an unusual invitation. I said, tonight, I want you to respond by doing this. Please do absolutely nothing except just sit down. That's right, sit down. Don't come forward. Don't pray or feel compelled to make any decisions. Don't do anything except 
just take the weight off your feet. The result was unexpected. Some hesitated, nervous that a Christian gathering could conclude without the anticipated amen of a heap of imperatives. Some people burst into tears as they just took their seats. Others said that they palpably sensed the presence of God in that moment of slowing, stopping, and just doing nothing. Perhaps it was just the relief, the knowledge that being a Christian is not just about what we do for God, but includes resting in all that God has done for us. But after the service was over, numbers of people came up to say how significant the opportunity to just do nothing had been for them. They just sat down. What is Jesus doing right now? One biblical picture has him sitting down at the place of final accomplishment and ultimate comfort at the right hand of the Father. So tonight, if you're busy for God, thank you for your tireless faithfulness, sincerely. And if you're hassled, frazzled, worn out and weary, just take five minutes to be with that seated Jesus and join him. Tonight we've been talking about slowing down, sometimes just doing nothing. And as I've admitted earlier, I'm very much on the pathway of challenge with this in my own life. Busyness seems to hem me in. It takes real effort and discipline to slow down. But this is not just a luxury. It was Wayne Muller who said, if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack creates Sabbaths for us. I know those are sobering words to end a program on, but I want us to accept the vital challenge. I want to accept it myself. Let's slow down. See you next time. Lucas on Life.